Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 161, Linux Fest, Ohio style. Recorded September 21st, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week is only, as if he's not enough, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, Seth. Hey, Mark, and don't worry, everyone, I'm not getting too big for my britches. <laughs> uh, Chris is uh, doing a family thing tonight, and so he wasn't able to be with us. Basically, his wife told him that uh, he couldn't be on the show. And uh, we we here at Element OP are nothing if not wife-friendly. So uh, we, we let him have the night off with only a 30% dock in his pay. Um, also joining us this week, if she is here after our Skype crash, is uh, Beth Lynn Eicher, who uh, is going to be telling us about the Ohio Linux Fest. Hi, Beth Lynn. Yeah, hello. Welcome back. Uh, we Just as we started the show, she crashed. So she's one of us. That's the way things go here. That was her inauguration to the uh, to the Skype world. She crashed. Um, oh no, no! I, I've been using Skype one way or another long, long before it became an evil Microsoft product. Since about like oh six. Oh, so Seth, she's going to fit right in with you. I think. How do you feel about Apple? <laughs> How do I feel about Apple? Now, um, Apple certainly does have its fanboys. Uh, I find that it is a preferable tool to use if your choices are that or Microsoft. Okay. However, um, it is not my general preference. And since I work at a day job... As a system administrator, I tend to use whatever my user community will use. And that just happens to be a whole heck of a lot of Apple. All right. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> so, uh, Seth, uh, I'm not sure he'll be able to speak to you anymore uh, after having said that, but that's okay. We'll, uh, yeah, I'll we'll make see you next week. Yeah, we'll I'm make out. it a two-way conversation. <laughs> but, but trust me, trust me, my my heart is just definitely bleeds for for software freedom. So Seth is a an anti Microsoft, uh, excuse me, anti Apple pro Microsoft guy. Um, he's a, he's the voice of the Windows user here on this show. Um, well, as long as I can bash Apple in some ways, <laughs> I'm I'm happy. You know, yeah, it doesn't have to be pro Microsoft. Yeah, I mean, you know, it just. You know, that's kind of the way it works out. That That's what I use at work. We're pretty much Microsoft shop. And every time somebody hands me their little Apple notebook to connect, you know, my first stop is the bathroom to wash my hands. <laughs> uh, at least we're unbiased here. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, mention, I didn't mention it last week. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe I thought it was, it would jinx me, but I, I took a whole week off of vacation uh, this, this week, this, uh, we left out on Monday, came back on Friday. My family went to St. Simon Islands, Georgia, uh, excuse me, St. Simon's Island. Uh, there's a, a, a string of four barrier islands off the Southern edge of Georgia known as the Golden Isles. And, uh, St. Simon's is the one we chose to go to spent the weekend doing very little. It was it was what I like as of this time last year. We went to Disney World, which was fun, but in no way restful. Uh, so this one was very restful. We didn't have a schedule. We didn't, 
we just kind of did what we wanted to do. We spent three days on the beach, went on a dolphin tour. That was cool. Found a pod of about, uh, really giant pod of about two dozen dolphins feeding off in the St. Andrews Sound and just kind of hung out while they had their lunch. They, uh, you know, they came up and, and looked at us once in a while. But basically we were, you know, a boat of 40 people. I think that, I think actually that they come to watch the uh, people tours that uh, they come up and, and wonder why, why all these people are in a cage on the water because uh, it, it really did seem that they were interested in the boat. They would come up. One of them, I called him Norman. Norman was following us. Every time we'd turn, he'd turn. When we'd stop, he'd stop. When we'd speed up, he'd speed up. He just hung with us for about 15 minutes, just checking out the people on the in the cage on the water. <laughs> so uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but I'm back. I'm tanned. I'm rested. And I'm ready to face the, the work week ahead i i took a peek at my email today i have 197 unread emails from the five days i was away so that will be most of my morning tomorrow is reading email fun fun yes i'm sorry right it's the price you pay for going away it is and uh and here the weather it's it's like fall fault i think today is officially fall right this is the 21st um, so yeah, today is fall. Tomorrow is the first full day of fall. And, uh, the weather here in Georgia has turned it, the high this week is supposed to be like 79. Um, so I'm not so impressed with hot Atlanta, as I've said before. Uh, what about you, Seth? How was your weekend weather? Well, it was mighty warm. I was, uh, I was, I had this plan. I borrowed a friend's truck and I was going to split wood and haul it up and stack it and Basically, there's enough wood down to probably get us through the winter, but I don't know what it was, but it's just like the heat just sapped it out of me, and I ended up getting just one pickup load of wood split and hauled up, and it was hot, even though it was only like in the upper, I mean, like I split the first log, and by by the time, you know, it was, I don't know, it was maybe 18 inches round, and by the time I was finished splitting it up into like quarters, there was like just water running off my glasses. I was wearing sunglasses and just there was just like water streaming off of it. So the humidity, you know, it might not have been the heat, but the humidity got me. Oh, uh, the old, it's not the heat, it's the humidity thing. You know, the, the stories are that uh, uh, of Roosevelt uh, used to, all right, Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt used to go out and chop wood to relax. When the pressures of being president got too much for him, he'd go chop two or three cords of wood. I think that uh, was Theodore. Yeah, yeah. Teddy. Did I say Franklin? Yeah, Franklin. Yes. Obviously, he he wouldn't have been chopping wood. Uh, no, yeah, it was Teddy Roosevelt. Don't know why I brought that up, other than I hate chopping wood and would rather sit in a cabinet meeting. I think than chop wood. No, I love the actual. You know the the chainsaw. It's okay, but the actual splitting wood. I've got like this twelve pound uh, maul that I use. It's it's just fun. You know, you hit that log and it splits apart and you hit a thoom and then they just, it's like. It's <laughs> it makes you feel like Thor. Admit it. It makes yeah. you feel like Thor. That's why you like it. It's like, if I can beat up on this wood, maybe life isn't all that bad. So, All right. Enough about that. Let's get on to what you, our listeners, have to say. Uh, we've got a little bit of listener feedback this week. Um, and then we'll jump right into our conversation with Beth Lynn. And as I told her before the show, Beth Lynn, feel free to jump in at any point, whether what you have to say is relevant or not. It doesn't really matter. Uh, just jump right on in. Um, and we'll start with Jim. He says, thanks. He says, guys, I just donated $5 on top of my very small Patreon contribution. Jim, let me just stop you right there. Thanks. Thanks for being one of our Patreon supporters. Uh, it doesn't matter how much your donation If it's, it's a penny, that's fine. It means that you are putting your money where your heart is, and I appreciate that. And and literally every penny you give 
um, goes back into making awesome things happen. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, and then moving on, he says, I really like the show. Please don't start researching your material, as it would be boring if you were just telling what I already know instead of the crazy, air-filled, uninformed reviews you now espouse. Thanks, Jim. Uh, he says, okay, I'm kidding, but not that much. Thanks again, Jim. Yeah, we try not to research anything at all possible because that would that would hurt our game. Frankly, if we couldn't just uh, spout off random conspiracy theories uh, at the at the drop of a hat, uh, I'm not sure what the show would be. Well, and you know, it's like there's nothing we research you couldn't go. Re- you know, <laughs> there's right. not like a special network, uh, special internet for podcasters that everyone else doesn't have. So uh, our opinions and our shtick is really what separates. Yeah. You can go to any podcast and get the facts. I mean, as Homer Simpson said, facts are useless. You can prove anything using facts. Oh. Yep. <laughs> So here we like to give you the 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 commentary, news and comment. Uh, Travis, who is uh, becoming a regular co-host of the show, has a few more questions about the NAS. Travis, just buy the NAS already. Just buy it. Uh, he starts off, he says, okay, guys, one word, bacon. All right. Now that I'm on the drunken, I mean, right path for what uh, I want to do, I have more questions. For me, what I want to do is a backup NAS uh, and I want to serve media and whatnot. Is there a distribution that has more special sauce built in for these particular tasks? What about OS updates? Uh, should I do uh, long-term uh, support versus rolling release? Should not a rolling release have more application in a setup where you don't want to have to nuke the operating system every couple of years? What about the best program for backup? Or is um, the is EDL the best backup tool ever still the standard? We did a show called The Best Backup Tool Ever. Uh, if not, um, what about NAS software? What will handle backups from Mac, Windows, Android, and Linux? Plex for media serving, sure. Okay, I got that one figured out. P.S. Have you heard? I've heard insanely great things about the new M2 PCIe SSD drives. You guys should really try these with one of the little mini ITX boards for a Steam box or whatever. They give the project a final. Whenever they give the project a final green light. All right, Joe, you were kind of uh, all over the place there. Sorry, not Joe, Travis. Joe's next. Um, so we'll take it from the top. Um, for a NAS, I don't really think there's any one thing that's better than anything else. My tool of choice for years has been FreeNAS, which isn't FreeNAS anymore. It's now called something else. I can't remember what. I will be Googling that uh, while... Seth, no vamps. No, Mark. We're going to be using the special podcast-only internet <laughs> to yes. research that information. www.google.com. Um, if I may I interject with a very quick plug, we actually have a, a talk about a distribution for people who want to go ahead and um, have their own software NAS right out of the box. It's called Free NAS. That is going to be presented on Friday. Come on down. Right. Listeners, come on down. So I guess it is still FreeNAS. I had I thought that FreeNAS had become something else. Maybe it did and now it's back. I don't remember. But I just went to FreeNAS.org and it's still there. Um, that's my, my NAS of choice. Um, just because it's simple and effective and can do pretty much anything you want to do without a lot of, of uh, work. Um. Bethlin, obviously, you have some uh, feedback about that. What, what do you think about free NAS in general? 
I, I think that it is a really interesting tool for, for people who want the the minimal functionality of I, I want it as and I, I want it out of the, the box and I want a distribution in which to do it for me. I understand that it is based on the FreeBSD kernel, yep. which is, is something that, that might be of interest to, to some of your listeners. I think that from a system administrator's perspective, that keeping your system tight to do only the things that it's supposed to do is the way to go. Don't, please, 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 whatever you do, you're not say, yeah, I'm going to have a server and then, then uh, decide that not only is it a lamp, then it's also a media server, then it's F- TP server and on and on and on. And you're, you're just going to cause yourself so many headaches tracking down so many patches. You Please don't <laughs> do that to yourself. Well, and that's exactly uh, what Travis wants to do. He's written in a couple of times before asking about the one, one box to rule them all. Um, and wh- while you can do that, uh, I tend to agree with Bethlin there. It's, it's not the best way to do it. Just like it, you know, you you a Swiss Army knife is a great tool, but it's not a great tool at any of the one things it does. Yes, it's got a screwdriver and a pair of scissors, but neither of them are very good. Uh, so the Swiss Army knife of of servers tends to do lots of things fairly well. Uh, uh, Travis, it, if it's an issue of a physical hardware, then go ahead and uh, virtualize that right. physical hardware to, to contain the servers for um, the specific applications that, that you need to roll out there. So now if you just want a NAS box, free NAS is the way to go. As, as Bethlin said, it's, it's BSD based um, and it uh, has services for windows backup time machine, good old fashioned R-Sync, which will work with everything. It's got plugins for, uh, BitSync and CrashPlan and and CouchPotato and OwnCloud. Um, it's got a Plex media server component. That's what you're looking for there. It's got a plug-in for that. Uh, so that's going to that's going to meet pretty much the bulk of your needs, I think. And I would bet that it would be pretty simple to install my favorite uh, enterprise backup tool on it. That would be Backup PC, uh, which um, is Linux based, but I'm pretty sure there's there's going to be a BSD version of it without any trouble. But you may not need that. Like I said, that's enterprise grade, and I love it for that. But for your home, um, probably the stuff built right into to FreeNAS is going to work just fine for you. So th- that first part of your question, that's my recommendation. Seth, you got any ideas? No, I think we pretty much hit the nail on the head. And uh, you know, just don't expect that your NAS if you're buying a NAS, that it's going to be your server component as well. Because for the most part, any server components in a consumer NAS are not going to be very robust or very powerful. So you're going to have some other head sitting on top of your NAS body. Um, and then, you know, I think you'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Um, 
Okay, I think that's all we have there. So Joe writes in with a couple of questions. Uh, he says, hello, EDL uh, crew. I have a couple of items, that I'll and I'll try to keep them short. First, parental controls. My kids are 7 and 5, and they're getting Android tablets this month for their grandma. Yay, grandma. My family does not have smartphones or tablets, and none of us have Android experience. I'm a little concerned about what they'll be able to access. As parents, we can limit the amount of screen time and and what apps they use, but we can't prevent them from accidentally stumbling upon something inappropriate. I run Untangle with a web filter, and that seems to work for blocking web pages, but I don't think it will block downloads from within an app store. Will parental controls be something that is in the Android settings, or is that more effectively done with a Boris box? How do you guys handle parental controls for your children's internet-connected devices? Okay, uh, I'm the only one who can speak to this uh, on this panel, or at least between Seth and me, because he doesn't have kids. Uh, we, I use, yeah, just a, an untangle box is going to be fine there. Um, I don't, the way I handled the app issues is my kids don't know their passwords to the to the app store, so they can't download. If they need something, they come to me and I download it for them. That I have three kids, they have three tablets. That's plenty of overhead for me. So um, when they when they need to log on uh, and they have an app they want or some in-app purchase or something like that, they got to come to me to do it. I, I'm laughing because I have a niece that I, I thought it would be a good idea to, to go ahead and empower her to start to think about what passwords mean to her and um, – actually pick her own password and i i found that christmas morning is probably uh, an inopportune time to get people to start to think about passwords in retrospect but anyhow uh, i've i've received very um urgent texts and phone calls at, at different occasions of do you remember what i set my password to be oh my goodness Bless her heart. She's 16. Now, I have a, a Google Apps domain. I set it up back when it was free. Um, I believe there is no longer a free version of it. At the time, I could get 50 users for free, and then they dialed it back to 15, and then to 10, and then to 5. The 5 free may still be out there, but I'm not sure anymore. E- either, Even so, it's I, I would pay for it if they came to me and said you need to pay for this because it gives me that oversight. I, I can administrate their, their Google Apps accounts and their their email addresses and all that sort of st- stuff. So I set and control their passwords through that, and I get a little Android control panel um, for their tablets. They show up there, and, and I have some limited control there. But mostly it gives me the ability to log in as them using the web interface and see what they're doing. Uh, so that's the way I handle it uh, with web uh, perimeter blocking, like your untangle box, and then just you know being a parent. Uh, there is no there is no technical substitute for being a parent. So um, the next question, he says, a Boris box update. Mark, did you ever replace your dead Boris box? What distros did or will you try? I'm currently, uh, I'm mostly content uh, with Untangle. I'm curious to try others. IP Fire seems more reasonable for a simple home network uh, and is updated fairly often. PFSense appears to be enterprise grade and extremely powerful, perhaps overkilled for a home network. PFSense and Sophos offer country blocking where you can block all traffic from, say, Russia or Nigeria. 
That sounds like a very attractive feature, but couldn't the bad guys just circumvent that by using a proxy so it looks like their traffic is coming from Canada or the UK? Is country blocking a nice feature to have, or is it just a gimmick to provide a false sense of security for those of of us who don't know any better? Well, again, there's a couple of questions in that question. Um, What I finally did, it's still not final. I'm still working on it. In fact, just this week, I ordered a a brand new uh, Buffalo... um, access point router device i'm playing around with off the shelf stuff yes it's fun to build your own uh router box but i i want to i want to do the experience that the the non-geek is going to do so this this box i don't remember the model number but it's from buffalo and it comes with uh tomato built in uh, not tomato ddwrt so i've got the enterprise grade stuff there in ddwrt built right in to the firmware uh and so it'll be here probably tomorrow because uh, of my Amazon Prime shipping gets things to it pretty quickly. Uh, right now I'm using OpenDNS, uh, which CarbM1 in the chat room is pointing out. That's 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 right now our only uh, block. It's not great, but it's okay. Um, and again, I, f- I, th- I think that it's... Th- this is difficult because you're, you're, you're talking more about parenting advice than technology advice at this point. My, my thinking is that it's better to let the kids stumble into something and then pull them back out and explain why that was a bad thing than to block them from it and never give them the experience. So we have open DNS. It's fairly uh, wide open. It blocks, you know, the obvious porn and, you know, the, the really bad stuff, but, uh, and ads because they're annoying. Um, but I don't, I'm not super restrictive about that sort of stuff. I don't let my kids do a lot of interneting alone. Again, they have tablets, but we keep the tablets. They have to check them out from us, and then you know we monitor what they're doing. Again, it's parenting. I, I don't want to block them. I want to to uh, be alongside them as they're doing it, to guide them, not block them. Uh, that was the uh, mentality I had when I was in schools. Spent 15 years working in a school system as a network admin, and my philosophy there was your best uh, internet filter is that salaried professional teacher in the room. Let let her do her job instead of blocking her and her students. Uh, so I that same mentality comes home. Some people may find that scary, but I think that's my job is to be a parent. And the world is ugly, and I can't block them from all ugliness, but I can equip them to handle the ugliness. So in my house, open DNS is pretty much all there is to it. Um, country blocking, I think, is just dumb. You're saying that all people in Russia are bad. Not practical. Not yeah. practical. I'm, I'm currently, my day job is in academia, and it, you've got, uh, it's to your advantage when you're in a research institution to be able to be global. And it, if you're in uh, a corporation, uh, of course you you want customers from all over the world. Why why would you want to block customers from a a certain sector of the world? That that, that would, um, in my former life, cause all, all sorts of grief and havoc. If for some reason at, at my ISP they decided to go ahead and um, filter out a certain nation uh, from our, our network, because that that would just be incredibly awful, and I I think that that would be something to to look at um, 
for the, the people who are concerned about net neutrality. It's just um, really um, not not a good idea to um, to let um, any service provider think that they could uh, go ahead and do us this favor. That's what I'm worried about, actually. Yeah, yeah my, I think um, that it's more of a knee, it's like a knee jerk reaction to like you know the the cyber ring in Russia and all of the you know you hear about these attacks from China. So this is just a knee jerk reaction that it does raise the bar defense slightly. But anybody who's attacking you, all they have to do is pick their feet up and go over the bar. The only people you're keeping out are the victims over there who now you can't get to and who can't get to you. So while there are maybe some limited cases where it would be good for the most part, you would not want to block uh, from a country because it says you send your email. There's so many easy ways around that to make it non-effective for your targeting and the unintended consequences would cause far more damage than any benefit that would come your way. And my objection to it is a lot more practical than what uh, Seth and Bethlehem have said here. There are good people in Russia. There are bad people in the U.S. When I block Russia, I am saying there are no good people in Russia. And when I leave the U.S. open, I say there are no bad people in the U.S. Th- that's just dumb thinking. Um, yes, it is a feature that manufacturers like to put on their boxes. Um, and if you're an email admin if you're running email it's actually a good idea there so if i'm when i was in school for example i did block foreign uh, email services because nobody there spoke russian so it was it was a way to just cut down on bunches of spam um and i we did have one person from uh, an exchange student came in from uh, china and said i would like to be able to get mail from china so i said Okay, and so I opened that up. But as when it was, when it's practical, it's a good way to just cut down the burden on your machine. But you're not serving email. You're not serving anything. You're surfing. So that means all of your connections are, are going to be outbound or for the most part initiated from the outbound. And so blocking them means somebody in your house has made a decision to go to something and you're telling them no. That's fine. You have that right as a parent. But I just think you need to understand what you're doing you you are telling your children that at that point all chinese people are bad that's exactly the message you're sending whether you think it is or not or all russians are bad or all czechoslovakians whatever you do there so you know later on when you try to talk to them about multiculturalism and diversity you've kind of shot yourself in the foot by blocking all of russia and all of china maybe they don't know that they're five and seven but when they're 15 and 17 they'll catch you on that trust me um and uh okay that's all he had there and then he also had a little something to say about audiobooks i'll put that in there um he says by a definition this is not a recommendation that would imply that i know what you like to read so it's just my experience uh, a couple of years ago i got s- stuff my dad says pardon the uh um on the fly edit there by justin halpern in hardback form from the local library by the way one of the best twitter feeds ever for a while um, it was so funny, I found myself crying at times from laughing so hard. I recently reread it by listening to it on CD. It was still funny, but slightly less enjoyable than reading uh, the paperback book for two reasons. One, the reader would change his voice to be all characters, young child, 
woman, old man. It was annoying at first, but I got used to it. And two, the prominent character in the book uses foul language, and it seems to me is more offensive when spoken aloud than when read. I found it odd that the reading the curse words on paper didn't make me cringe, but hearing some uh, someone speak them did. I know foul language is a turnoff for some, so it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but maybe some of your listeners, uh, considering the audible trial, would uh, enjoy something funny. Um, it's there. I checked. The author recently wrote a book called I Suck at Girls. This is also funny, maybe to a lesser extent. I may also It may also strike a chord <laughs> considering the high potential for overlap of Linux geeks and glorious ineptitude with the ladies. Thanks for the podcast. Kind rejo- regards, Joe. Uh, so, uh, Joe, your experience is mine as well. I found that when I'm listening to an audiobook that uses adult language, it is more forceful than reading it. I, I guess when you're reading along, you're already parsing that. Your brain is parsing meaning. And when you get to something you don't like, you can just refuse to parse that. I, I assume that's a, a skill that we all develop uh, early on when you're, you know, when you're studying in history class and you come to a wrong Russian name. You know, when I'm reading that, I just replace it with Bob and go on. Um, all the characters in uh, Tale of Two Cities were named Bob, by the way. So, uh, when, when, when you, you, I guess that's a skill that you develop. And, and if you are one who likes to filter what comes into your mind, um, then the audiobook may in fact be a bit of a sledgehammer. I found it was for me. Um, I'm having to, I'm reading a, a very funny book right now by John Scalzi, reading, meaning listening to, uh, called Red Shirts. Um, and it's the old uh, thing, you know, the, on the Enterprise. Kirk, Uhuru, uh, Bones, and and Scotty all beam down to the uh, uh, surface with Ensign Leibowitz. Who's not coming back? Um, well, this this book is about a central character who figures that out, uh, and it's it's pretty funny. It's a great book. I'm really enjoying it. Um, and but it's Scalzi likes to use adult languages and I uh, language. And I found that when when he when Will Wheaton, by the way, the Prince of Geeks, uh, who's reading it, when he reads those words, it punches me in the head a little more. So I, it's interesting to me that you had that same experience. Uh, but I do recommend the book in spite of that. If you can turn on those filters, or if you're not one who's bothered by it, the creativity uh, and the humor of the book is great. Um, and again, if you'd like to try Audible, I highly recommend you go to elementopi.com/audible and use our trial. Uh, you get a free book free month subscription uh they will start charging you at the end of the month so just be aware it is it's the typical bait and switch you get one free uh but if you cancel at any time uh they don't pay anything so sign up get the book cancel it 30 seconds later the book is still yours to keep Uh, and audible can do that because they know that you're not going to once you get hooked on a good audible book um you're gonna you're gonna like me I now just sign my paycheck over to Audible these days um, because I've I've rediscovered the joy of quote unquote reading through audiobooks. Um, so there's there's a little commercial for you there. And then he uh, moves on. He says, "P.S. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying Super Cyclone in the bike background as I type this email. I bet the good folks at Asylum would be totally fine with someone torrenting Super Cyclone in order to send a DVD copy to the bandwidth challenge like Seth torrenting Super Cyclone or Sharknado or Army of Darkness. Surely there's a gray area for such gems." I walked up on an office discussion about torrenting just yesterday. I was surprised when a senior manager volunteered that he uses Tor, uh, uses a Tor box for torrenting. This was the opposite of what I expected. It was a 50-year-old guy using Tor while a 30-something remained conspicuously silent about how he gets his media. I really enjoyed this discussion about file sharing and privacy a couple of weeks ago. Piracy, excuse me. All right, Joe. Thanks for your thing there. Um, 
Super Cyclone is definitely a, uh, a special place there. I'm, I'm not sure you will go to jail for torrenting that one. You might go to hell for torrenting that one, for sharing that with other people. Yeah, um, I don't think I would want someone to send me a DVD copy of Super Cyclone. <laughs> it, but, you know, it, that's one of those movies. If I'm up at midnight when they're showing it on sci-fi, I might stay up and watch it. Just, you know, to kind of help along with my insomnia. But, yeah, no, I would not pop a DVD in and watch it. Well, the movie, the movie that's out now, Into the Storm, I am certain is exactly the same as Super Cyclone. Um, I think it's just the big budget version of Super Cyclone. Uh, uh, Asylum movies um, stole the script and made it in eight days and called it Super Cyclone. But it's uh, it's into the storm. It seems to be exactly the same plot and even some of the same special effects, complete with literal brimstone falling from the sky. No, see, I don't think they stole the script. I think it's just somebody saw the preview for into the storm (laughs) and said let's make that movie and get it out there before it does so someone said coming to theaters tomorrow into the storm and asylum said coming to sci-fi in 15 minutes into the (laughs) super cyclone uh ming na wen at her best no not at all well i i look at this way there's almost four thousand uh free as in in freedom uh, movies that are available on archive.org. Now, uh, these just so happen to be uh, a lot of the uh, movies that have let their copyright lapse for one reason or another, such that it is royalty-free. You can go ahead and, and download it and pass it on to your friends and display it in a very public place without having to pay for a license. And gosh, by golly gee, who doesn't love free? Well, good free point. is good. It's even better if what's free is good. Uh, and that's not always the case um, in the case of Super Cyclone, which, by the way, I just looked it up. IMDb rates it 2.1 stars. I think they're being generous. 2.1 uh, out of 10. Well, I mean, no, th- that point, everything gets at least a one. And then the cheese um, <laughs> adds the other one and then point one because somebody actually liked it. So th- th- that's how you get that number. But, yes, there are lots of free free stuff out there. Um, and you know, one of the things that we do on the show often is show you that some of the best stuff in the world is free. Um, it, what's interesting is we tend to not look for it. We only look like, you know, the, the low budget indie stuff gets overlooked while the big budget schlock that comes out every summer is heralded. Um, and, and that's an interesting aspect of humanity i guess because we do it with movies we do it with with music we do it with uh uh with software people think linux sucks because you don't pay for it i i don't i've i mean i've heard that said so many times it's it's is it is it the marketing that that really um drives us to to be zombies to to go ahead and and do what it is that we are told to do well, that's their job. I mean, literally, that that's their job is to to force you to do something, you know, that they they uh 
the advertising industry has decades of experience at forcing people to do things. So they're good at it. Yay, marketing people. Woohoo. <laughs> okay, so that's it for our listener feedback this week. Let's jump right into our interview with Ms. Beth Lynn Eicher uh, from the Ohio Linux Fest. So let's let's start first with you, Beth Lynn. Who are you? What do you do with OLF and, and stuff? I am the director of the Ohio Linux Fest. I, I got this title because I opened my big mouth at year one. That was in 03. We were just getting together in the Ohio State University in this auditorium. I believe it belonged to the, the computer science department. And it was really an interlug gathering for everyone who was willing to to make the trip into Columbus, Ohio. And I opened my big mouth and just with just plain marvel, how could we possibly have pulled off such a great event for absolutely positively no, no cost to the, the participants that continues to be a value that we continue on to this day 11 years later it's it just amazing so what makes ohio linux fest different than all the other linux fests i mean there's there's northeast there's southwest there's northwest there's uh you know texas linux fest why ohio linux if i were going to pick one linux fest to go to this year sell me on why it should be yours well, we are one of the oldest and the largest, and quite honestly, we have inspired and mentored other Linux Fests to get off the ground over the past few years. We continue to insist on having a gratis registration option. We have the largest portfolio of professional training. That's not a, a gratis option. That's $350 for uh, our offerings in our Ohio Linux Fest Institute. We are truly a weekend-long show. You you can come in on Friday and catch a great track called The Early Penguins. We have, goodness, six whole tracks on Saturday where... We talk about really everything under the sun about free software, not just GNU Linux, but we have plenty of offerings for those who are fans of BSD as well. We have quite the bash of an after party that this year it's going to be sponsored by Linode. Very happy to have them on board with that. Very interesting partnership indeed. And Sunday, we have uh, the opportunity to take the LPI exam on site, as well as a diverse, inclusive open source workshop to really bring together a lot of uh, the folks who are really tackling the barriers to entry on so many levels to make sure that 
we are a more inclusive community as an open source community that we, we feel that we can do such a great job at influencing the overall community, not just the folks of Ohio. So you say you have a gratis, because we can't just use the word free uh, in the Linux context, uh, registration option. So what do I get without paying nothing? Well, you get in to the door, which you can attend the Friday early penguins track. You can attend all six tracks on Saturday. You can enjoy the expo. And um, you can also enjoy the diverse, inclusive workshop if that's something that calls out to you. Okay, so... Uh, Again, an entire weekend long full of programming. And how many how many workshops are going on? You said six tracks. What? what give me a, a rough number of, of how many are going on. Well, it, it, that that's what I'm telling you that the, there are six concurrent. Right. So there's six at any one time. Right. How many of them are then stacked? Uh, how uh, what are their increments? Every hour, every 40 minutes, every Oh, yes, every hour. Okay. So On roughly roughly 50 a day. Well, we we pack most of the action into the the Saturday because it, again we're we're packing six tracks into not even twenty four hours goodness uh, right we're we're talking about like ten hours and <laughs> you really can't not be beat right okay Seth, what questions do you have i'm I'm hogging the interview as I want to do. Well, no, you're doing, um, who all is going to be there? Like, um, I know there's going to be like several different keynotes. Um, anybody we would have heard of? Well, let, let me talk a, a little bit about my keynotes. So we've got Ruth Suley. She is, um, one of the authors of the popular O'Reilly book, Raspberry Pi Hacks. And you also might know her as the lifestyle editor on RedHatsOpenSource.com. Yeah, we actually uh, had a short interview with her that played a couple of weeks ago. Um, I met her at uh, LinuxCon. Just, uh, I guess that's last month now. Yeah, absolutely. She's a very positive individual, and um, some you might not realize, but she's um, fairly passionate about the Fedora community as well. All right. Cool. And who's up next? Oh, we have Ken Helio starts of the Reglue project. This is a nonprofit that's run out of Austin, Texas, that will what I like to call upcycle desktops and go ahead and put the GNU Linux operating system on them. The reason why I say upcycle instead of recycle or refurbish is that I, I feel that you get a far better value with the free software desktop 
than you would with a proprietary solution because not only is it um, the principles of freedom are there for you, but if if you're in front of a proprietary desktop, new out of the box, what you will get is not a whole heck of a lot of applications. And the uh, what Reglu will do for, I should definitely specify it as that this is for children to use in their homes and he has worked not only in um, the Austin, Texas area, but nationally to to work with with children and families, such that the educational needs of the child are definitely met with all the the wealth of the information that is on the internet the essential need of having a, a full office suite to put together your project for for school that th- these are also uh, essential tools for life that sometimes the the parents will go ahead and use and find this is a, a tool to help them perhaps out of poverty. Ken Helio Starks, if you've never met him or if you never heard from him, he's just one awesome sort of guy. You're going to be like, wow, I'm in the presence of a saint. <laughs> because he he's just... Honest to goodness, doesn't have a day job. This is his full-time life to do nothing but serve others. My goodness, God bless him. Yeah, there are a, a number of, of projects like this, and, and uh, it's a great thing. It's it's taking somebody's cast-off technology, it's fixing it and making it better, and then giving it to people who need it. Uh, that's that's great. I, I would that'd be great to hear him speak. Um, and then after that, um, who, who do you have? You have John John Hall. Is that what I see there? Yes, yes, John Mad Dog Hall. He's definitely a favorite of the Ohio Linux Fest audience. He comes to us from Linux International. If you happen to to follow him on social media, you'll you'll see. Oh yeah, wow! You you were in Brazil this week, and next week you're in Germany, and. It, the guy is a globetrotter because he founded a, the Linux International uh, specifically to, to reach out and talk to people. And he has a specific passion for, for talking to the college students or really any young people about the benefits of free software. But you know what? Um, he, he wrote an article lately uh, on his blog that that really made me think he said never again will i talk about software freedom or the benefits of software freedom instead i will ask people why they insist on using proprietary software 
So there, therefore, I'm thinking that he's going to take this brand new spin on on his advocacy and, and outreach about reaching out to people and ask why they they insist on proprietary software to to make it more actable to our, our everyday lives of uh, not not just our our own behavior but uh, why uh, would you consider first a proprietary option in your day job why would you consider a proprietary option for um for people in your family when you're you're considering holiday gifts that that sort of thing John Hall is also the epitome of the term neckbeard. That beard comes straight out of the neck there. Great. <laughs> He's what you expect to see when you think of a Linux advocate. Well, um, he, he definitely wants people to think of him as some form of a pirate, I, I guess. <laughs> he, he went really crazy like with the talk with the pirate day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Which was immediately followed by Software Freedom Day. Software Freedom Day was yesterday, everybody. How did you guys celebrate, by the way? Um, I sat on my couch most of the day and did nothing. I I was yeah. free from software yesterday. Yeah, I, I cut wood and celebrated <laughs> a friend's daughter's birthday. So I didn't really, uh, I didn't do much on the computer at all yesterday. You know, that would be a fun... Uh, phone app is to to list all the days that a given day is because every there's a day for everything you know today is wear your underwear backwards day um also valentine's day you know whatever um okay anyway back to ohio linux fest so i'm not in ohio i'm in atlanta um is it this is a loaded question is it worth it for me to truck up to Ohio and spend three nights in a hotel and pay for airfare to go to Ohio Linux Fest? Well, absolutely. Um, truth be known, I personally live in Chicago. Therefore, oh. I, I'm doing this, the same thing. So I'm, I'm definitely not recommending anyone do anything completely odd that I, I personally wouldn't do. Uh, another thing I'll, I'll ask you specifically about Atlanta, so I'll, I'll pick on you for a little bit. Do you remember the Atlanta Linux Showcase? I've only been here a couple of years, so no. Okay. Well, the, uh, the Atlanta Linux Showcase was a show that I think it had like three, maybe four good years there in Atlanta. And it was a a community-run conference rather than a a conference that that was run by um, perhaps a a large uh, marketing firm for one specific brand that it's for us by us sort of show. Now, 
if you feel more comfortable waiting all the way until next June, then yes, I, I suppose I would definitely advise you to, to wait and, and drive to your, your nearest Linux Fest, which is the Southeast Linux Fest, which I, I believe would perhaps be in either North or South Carolina. However, if you really got the itch that I really need to, to hang out with my peeps and find out what's new and, and really immerse yourself in the overall culture, then absolutely please do come up and to Ohio this October. That's exactly where you need to be. So would you classify the Linux Fest as more of a hangout or of a learning opportunity? I understand it's both, but which which is it that most people are there to do? Are they there to hang out with other geeks or are they there to to learn and and teach? Everybody will learn something at the Ohio Linux Fest because it, there is just such a broad diversity of people and interests coming together that you're you're not going to, to necessarily see if you just go to your local user group and hang out and eat pizza, then you're you're going to, to get uh, more than a little of both, put it that way. All right. Seth, any other anything you wanted to say? Uh, no, I we've been covering it good so far. Um, well, my question would be like, is this something that like the super geek, um, you know, I can command line and do Vi in my sleep kind of person needs to go to, or just the everyday user who's like, you know, I downloaded Linux Mint and I play around with it. Would they would they get a lot out of the Ohio Linux Fest, or is like say is it more for the people who are already in the know, so to speak? Well, we, we've got something for everybody. We've got advanced level talks and we've got beginner talks. But no matter where you are on the spectrum, one track that we have is called the tr career track. So if you are, are a college student who is uh, trying to figure out where where to go from here, then that would be something of interest. Also, if uh, you are a seasoned professional looking to make a move or perhaps a professional in transition, that's another great reason for you to be there at the Ohio Linux Fest. All right. So as we're sort of ra wrapping this up here, what, what did we forget to ask you? What, have you? what did you come here wanting to say and you haven't gotten to say it yet? Our URL is ohiolinux.org. Our event is at the Greater Columbus Convention Center, October 24th through the 26th. Just come on down. We'd love to have you. So where does it meet? Does it meet in, a, in, a, in the hotel or is it near a, a, the hotel and that's just where you can stay or what? It is at the Greater Columbus Convention Center. Okay. We have... 
relationships with two hotels that are under the same roof. However, you can stay wherever you want, and we'll, we just love to have everyone. Awesome. And what uh, you said there was the free track and the paid track. Is there anything in between? There was the, uh, you said $300, right, for the advanced Twitter? Uh, what's it cost? That's what I'm getting at. It's $350 for the the um, OFI, that is our professional training, which happens on Friday, where you get a full-on focused tutorial with some industry experts, whether it be a certification cram from LPI or professionals from Red Hat who, who do Red Hat training or um, our other course offerings. I believe we have also a course in Get that we, we have something for both programmers, sysadmins, people who are, are just um, getting acclimated to Linux and now have something to prove with the certification program that that's where you need to be. We have two other options of which you can give us money. We have the dinner with the keynotes. That is a special opportunity that will happen on Friday night, and we will only sell a limited amount of tickets for that, and the price is $60. And um, we would like to, you to take advantage of our after party. That is $5. That's basically to, to guarantee that you're, you're serious about hanging out with us for the evening and um, we definitely make it up with the the food and beverage offerings that that we have how much which of which of these could i bring my seven-year-old to well um i would definitely advise your seven-year-old register for the enthusiast past that is the gratis pass all right what about the parties are they tend to be more adult in nature well um if your seven-year-old wants to to come along to um the after party then he's welcome to do so as long as you're um going to to keep close tabs on him <laughs> okay I, but, I'm just trying. Uh, yeah. I don't know anything about. It. I'm just I trying to get a sense that. for it. I'm not right? going. To, yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not going to to restrict any young people to to come and enjoy the the Ohio Linux Fest and everything that it has to offer. Quite honestly, we had um, a couple years back a a um, a week old baby attend the Ohio Linux Fest. Wow. Well, you know, it's not uncommon for geeks to get together and for debauchery to abound. And and if that's if that's what happens, that's fine. I just, you know, want our audience to know before they go into it. You know, is this the kind of place where you you go and learn Linux and, and compile kernels and then you go get slobbering drunk? Or is this a place that's more family oriented? I, I'm I'm okay either way, just need to know. 
we strive to be more family oriented. It's not to say that we don't welcome the party animals. It's just that the party animals that we've had will will show up at the after party, have their one beverage, and then they'll they'll congregate amongst themselves, and then they'll they'll enjoy a neighborhood establishments down the road. And sometimes I've joined them at the neighborhood establishments down the road, <laughs> and and these these people are a lot of fun too. Uh, so the however, debauchery it, takes place at the fun. bar. That that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Yeah, you could you could wander off to the bar. It is a, a happening area called the Arena District, where there are a substantial amount of nightclubs to to cater to the people who just got out of the um, NHL hockey game, or just got out of work from the downtown area. Therefore, we're we're blessed with a, a plethora of bars and clubs to to enjoy as well, if that's what you're into. All right. Well, I I think we've got a pretty good idea of what the Ohio Linux Fest is. Uh, is there anything else you needed to say? Any uh, parting comments? Anything that we left out? I will state again, we are ohiolinux.org, October 24th through the 26th. We are celebrating the future of free. Click on the registration to go ahead and lock yourself in for that enthusiast pass. All right, so free if you pay in advance. I see on your website, five bucks at the door. Fair enough. Exactly. All right. You need um, to know that you're coming. And, okay, uh, Beth Lynn, this is the part of the show where we jump into some uh, news and, and um, comments, and some of it is researched and most of it is not. Uh, would you like to join us for the rest of the show, or would you like to bid a fond farewell now? it's The choice is yours. We won't uh, be upset either way. Sure, I'll interject. Okay, so you're going to hang on there. Excellent. We like it when our guests do that. Um I don't know why. It makes us feel special. You like <laughs> us. You really like us. Uh, but before we go on any further, I want to tell you that uh, yet another place where you can get your Linux learning on, festivals are certainly a good place to go, uh, but our our good friends over at the LinuxAcademy.com offer some great resources for you to do maybe follow up with or before you go, particularly if you're on that professional track, wanting to to move from being just a guy who knows some stuff to being a guy who gets paid to know stuff. Uh, Linux Academy is a place uh, place to go for there. They, they do this by the way of step-by-step video courses designed to take you from being a beginner to being a certified professional. Um, they've got some really new, uh, cool new things coming up here. I, I know you guys have heard us talking about them. Uh, you know, every week for a year now, and you probably think, gosh, I'm, I, I could do this ad in my sleep now. Good. That means it's working. But uh, just this week, they've released some new stuff. Now, we've talked to you before about uh, the Linux labs uh, that they have. So they have the virtual servers running in, in the Amazon Web uh, Services system. So they're super high reliability, super fast. You can tear one up uh, and you know destroy it to your heart's content, and then re- reset it and start over again. It's a great safe place to learn stuff. So while you're watching these videos, while you're practicing, while you're trying to to learn this stuff, it's a safe place to go. Well, now they've expanded that capacity. You can now have you know we've, you've always been able to have up to eight dis- different distributions. Now you can have four of them running at once. 
So you can set up a, a database server and then set up a web server and, and see how those two communicate with another and then set up a client in that protected environment and have it go back and forth. But you can have four of them running at a time and you can give each, you get public host names for them. So you can actually have, you can access them now over the internet live and do some real experiments. This is all new stuff, new features they've, that they've added at no additional cost. They've just expanded their offering. Um, so that's one of the cool new features about that. But not only do you have the the videos and the the hands-on stuff, but if you're a, if you're a written word kind of guy and you like to see things in print, they have they have downloadable PDF study guides that are time-coded for all of the videos. So you're watching this video, you've got this time code of what's going on here and it tells you at this point, this is what they talked about. So you can read it, then you can go back and watch it, then you can go read it again, then you can go to your lab and experiment with it and try to reproduce it, and then you can move on. It's all amazing for for learning at your own pace. They give you all these great tools. They have well over 200 videos. They're, they're adding another 100 before the end of the year. They're just cranking things out right now. Um, not just Linux, but uh, also Amazon services and, and um, open that thing open stack uh they're doing all these these things they they have this lesson browser they've had this all along the this this um com- panel interface where you have your your lesson browser so you can just say i want this lesson i want that lesson and it tracks them as you go it says you've taken this you did you you did this you took this quiz associated with did i mention quizzes oh yeah there are quizzes that go along with it so you can submit your knowledge once you've read about it once you've watched it once you've experimented with it you can test yourself on it and see how uh how well you did and that tracks everything on and and they've you know they've got these modules that we've talked about before but they have added a whole new thing it's learning plans you can tell them I want to devote an hour of my day for the next 20 days to Linux Academy, and here's my objective. And it will spit out a lesson plan for you, and it'll tell you what you need to do. It'll tell you what order you need to do them in. It will track them as you go. And as you get long, say you only do 45 minutes one day, and you say you're going to do an hour, it'll say, hey, you're deficient here. You need to come back here. And so it's it's your own personalized learning plan. It's not just um, the stuff that's out there. It's not just a catalog of stuff. It creates a personalized environment for you based on how much time you're willing to spend and what your objectives are. It gives you a projective completion date, uh, the course, and and gives you the time included for studying. So this is how much offline time we expect you to spend. This is how much lab time. It's very much like a college course where the syllabus is generated for you. It's really an amazing new feature that they've just rolled out this week, and I, for one, am super excited about it. You can get all that for a ridiculously low price. What's that ridiculously low, low price? About 25 bucks a month. All of this stuff, hundreds of videos, personalized learning, four uh, servers running at once in Amazon's cloud service for 25 bucks a month. But if that's too much for you, we can do better than that. If you purchase a quarter, three months at a time, that drops down to $20 a month. If you purchase annually, it's $199. 200 bucks one time for a year, that breaks down to like $16.70 something a month. You will not find this quality of learning for that price anywhere on the internet. I stand by that statement. You're just not going to do it. When you go, use the code EverydayLinux when you sign up. Let them know that we sent you. You did a great job, Mark, covering all the bases there. Um, you know, here, here's what I would suggest to people. You know, we talk about it all the time. Don't jump off and buy the one year up front and say, Hey, I'm going to do this because while they give you a whole bunch of options to fit your learning needs, go one month and give it the test drive. $25 to invest in your future is nothing. Um, 
you go through, you take the courses, they're divided into small, easy to digest bits after one month, then you'll realize you like it and you realize it's something that can take you into gainful Linux employment, then, you know, fire off for the course or for the quarter or go for the whole year. And, uh, it's well worth the time. It's well worth it. You know, they get my money. That's right. Seth doesn't pay for anything. Nope. So the fact that he pays for them, not only do they sponsor the show and support content that you like, but they're good enough that Seth pays for it. That That's better than any ad that I could give. I, I have no good intro for this first news story. It's just freaking cool. How about being a bionic man? Well, we're almost there. The exoskeleton is the first step, and uh, some guys, have they're making it happen. Yes, you know, the, the dream of, like, you know, mechs walking around the battlefield, we're not quite there yet, but they're developing something called a soft exosuit, um, and it's kind of the suit mimics the action of the wearer's leg muscles and tendons. So when you're walking, it's kind of helping your muscles to walk so you don't get as tired. You can go further. You can carry more. Um, it's being developed by uh, Harford. And, uh, you know, it's only a $2.9 million contract awarded by DARPA, you know, and they're the same grant money that helped develop the initial internet. So I think it's kind of cool. And, you know, again, this isn't like an, an exo suit, you know, mechanicalized thing, but it's just basically clothes you'll wear and it will, it kind of mimics your muscles. So your, your leg muscles aren't carrying, you know, that hundred pound rucksack. This the suit itself is also helping to uh, do some of that muscle action so it doesn't take as much. And at the end of the day, you're not as tired. You haven't wasted as much energy, Um, you know. And, of course, if you're a soldier in the field, then you have, you know, you have more energy left for combat or whatever it needs to be. But I just thought it was really cool. You know, this is something I ran across on technewsworld.com. And, of course, the link will be in the show notes. But I think it's pretty cool to read. Yeah, so uh, it's it's not like Iron Man's exosuit, as cool as that would be. This is more like strapping on a knee brace before you go for a run, but it's a super smart knee brace. Um, there's not a lot to it. It looks like it would probably only weigh a couple of pounds, but, you know, if you do the materials right, you don't need much of them. Right. And so, you know, yeah, it just, it looks really cool. Um, I, I read an article just this week, uh, uh, if I can find the link, I'll put it in the notes. Uh, Google Now, I love Google Now on my phone. It starts. It started recently suggesting stories to me as it saw my search history and the sort of things I search. It's suggesting things that I should read, and by golly, is it right most of the time? Uh, but this one is about a jetpack, right? So we all want jetpacks that make you fly like uh, James Bond. This jetpack has a whole different uh, purpose. The purpose is to make an average guy run a four-minute mile. So it's not super thrust. It's not rocket fueled. It's not gonna. It's not gonna um, fly you off the, the over the Grand Canyon. But it's designed to make you run faster with less energy. Um, and it was a guy. It was he was a welder, um, and he started uh, experimenting with it as part of his college project. And they have a prototype, and uh, they currently have just a regular just a regular college kid they drafted, not a trained runner at all. Um, and they've got him running right now like a four four minute and 30 second mile um and at the end of it he's not spent it's not he hasn't been sprinting that whole time 
he's been running at a relaxed pace with this jetpack pushing him along, making it easier. So he gets longer strides, less energy per stride. Um, so they had him run just you know regularly, and then they measured his his energy output with the jetpack on. He's running faster, carrying an eleven pound jetpack, and expending less energy than he was running slower, not carrying anything. So super cool piece of technology there. That is pretty cool. Someday this is all going to coalesce together, and we're going to have the Tony Stark Iron Man suit uh, abilities, but it won't look anything like the Iron Man suit. It'll look like a guy wearing a knee brace and an elbow pad. Yeah. That, you know, I'm excited. This is the future. We are living in the future, and I'm super excited about it. I used to do half marathon running. Well, it it was more along the mixture between walking and running because I I'm still pretty new to the sport. But I felt that the part of the the challenge was to to see what what your own human body can be. I can accomplish now. Like whenever I first saw this topic, I, I thought, "Well, I, I've heard of technical T-shirts that that claim that they're going to sew in to the the T-shirt a, a better better um, way to to track your heartbeat and and get that heartbeat." to you somehow in an audible manner, maybe via a Bluetooth, that that would definitely be something that I, I would think that athletes would be interested in. However, it, if if you're doing what what you're you've been discussing, then um, you're you're not you're not really doing it for the athletics of it. You're you're doing it for assistance now. Uh, it, it kind of makes me think. Well, well, gee, is, is there some sort of uh, application that this technology would be better spent on helping people with uh, disabilities? However, um, I, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with somebody who has the desire to to go ahead and, and boost. Well, the, the uh, fact is, running. the fact is, it's a lot easier to enhance than it is to replace. So if you're replacing a leg, that's a lot more work than assisting a leg. So the you know the technology may be moving in that direction, but it's got to start somewhere. And assistive technology is the, is the better way to go. So you use this same technology, you dial down that that jetpack, and and now you're not running a four minute mile, but you're walking without a walker. You know, it's providing thrust and lift in that way. So, you know, it's certainly possible, but you got to start somewhere. And, of course, military is the place where you have the biggest budgets. So uh, if you can make a better soldier, you're going to get paid for your research. Well, I, I think, quite honestly, it's going to be used by tourists. Like, segways are used by tourists, and you wouldn't have to have the overhead of where you're going to park these darn things once you get to where you're going. Maybe. Yeah, well, and, you know, and for, like, in my situation, when I'm out cutting wood, you know, I'm, I'm unfortunately, I'm getting older and I'm not in great shape. So, a couple of hours and I was spent. So, if I had a suit, you know, just something like the article I linked to, 
you know, then at the end of a couple of hours, I'm still good to go and I can get more bang for my working buck. And, you know, on the one hand, it's like, why bother to exercise? I've got super clothes. Uh, and on the other hand, because I spend my days in a day job, I don't have a lot of time to work around the property at home. And something like this would help me maximize my working, um, outside. So, you know, I mean, but it's, it's easy to quit developing your muscles, be they, be they, you know, your arm and leg strength or your mind and memory when you have the technology to do that for you. But if you continue to develop yourself, then when you add the technology on top of that, then you get into something special. And so what, what better segue to go from this to Comcast, um, who has decided that if you do something that doesn't let them snoop, they're going to cut you off. This is just dumb. Um, <laughs> How is this news? Well, you know. Um, Quite honestly. The, <sighs> yeah. According to the original story, uh, Comcast said, if you use Tor to uh, browse the Internet, uh, we're going to cut you off. Um, and you know, and granted, there's a lot of illegal things going on in tour, but there's also a lot of people who just like, I don't care. I, you don't have any need to know what I'm doing. I want to watch my cat videos in total privacy. Um, and so Comcast has released a statement saying that this report was wildly inaccurate, um, and that there is no stated policy against this customers using tour. And probably what they meant to say was there's no written policy. It's all been done verbally. Um, but yeah, Comcast, they've been in the news a lot for being incredibly stupid. Um, and I think this is just another instance where there, somebody caught their stupidity and they backpedaled a little bit. But yeah, I don't understand. I mean, I understand from their point, they want to be able to see what you do. And of course they say, well, you know, if you're torrenting, uh, you know, the latest Hollywood blockbuster, blah, blah, blah. But what they want to be able to do, they want to see what you're doing so they can serve up ads to you. And in addition to receiving your money for paying their service, they want to then be able to turn around and earn more money off of you by packaging ads to sell you. And so, well, if, and also yeah. targeting services. Yeah. They, they want to know that if you're, if you're downloading, uh, you know, torrenting, uh, or using a VPN to look at sports stuff, well, look, we have a sports package that we can offer you and you don't have to be a felon to do it. Uh, so there's lots of reasons to want to look at what somebody's, what somebody's doing. None of them are reason to dis- to cut off somebody's account. We think we can't tell that you're not doing bad, so we're going to assume that you are and disconnect you. Yeah. And and like I say, they did come out and say that this re- story was wildly inaccurate. Um I don't know how wildly it was. What, but what's yeah, crazy though is so, so let's let's stipulate that it is. Fine Comcast, we agree that it's wildly inaccurate. But your behavior over the last several years has been such that we all totally believed it because it totally seems like something Comcast would do. That says to me, Mr. Comcast executive, that you have a brand problem. Yeah, uh, because what hap- the reason the story came about is Comcast representatives and whether they were Comcast employees or people in India outsourced following the Comcast script, they branded Tor illegal and told customers that using it was against the company policies. So if it was just poor training, 
um, which I doubt, or if it's the fact that crap, somebody's caught on to us, we've got to stop. Um, it sounds just from what we know about Comcast that the crap they're on to us, we have to stop is the, is the correct answer and not the, they weren't properly trained. So yeah, you know, totally yeah. agree. So, so let's, let's just say, fine, this isn't real. The fact that we all were so ready to believe that it's real and it didn't seem out of character seems to me like something you've got to fix, Comcast. Um, I I dumped Comcast after they got my bill wrong for the ninth month in a row. I I, I was pretty much done with them after that. <laughs> after nine months of, of billing me incorrectly, I was done. You know what else I'm done with? I'm done with old Android browsers that use the WebKit because nobody does that. Uh, but... There's still a lot of them out there, um, and there's a bug. Wait, wait, doesn't Chromium still use the WebKit somewhere? It's not, uh, it's their, it's a new code base. It's not the same code base in this story. Okay. Yeah, there was a, um, the bug was reported back in September, and it is only for, what is it versions before version 4.2 um starting with 4.2 uh google switched to chrome and um but even then some of the core parts of android browser but basically what happens is if you're using these old versions and of course you know tablets have become they're not a computer they're a consumable and so we're not going to give you an update to the latest version of Android on your tablet that fully has the hardware specs to run it. We're just going to make you buy a new tablet. And so people are like, um, I spent five bucks on this tablet from China. I don't think I need to get rid of it yet. So I'm going to hold on to it. Um, but yeah, there's only, um, golly, I'm looking for the bug. Do, well, while, do you, while you're doing that, I'll, yeah. I'll say that uh, a lot of low-cost providers like uh, Cricket, which is popular here in the southern U.S., uh, even some Sprint or Verizons, they will give you a free phone, which is an old phone running like uh, gingerbread. I, my my sister-in-law had a, a, a quote-unquote new phone running gingerbread because it didn't take much technology. So they could take an old, old off-the-shelf stuff that's readily available and cheap slap together a free phone to give to somebody who signs up for these things. So this browser is out there. It's the old Android browser before they moved to Chrome uh, right. in their in their thing. So it's, you know, the old, that globe icon, that uh, greenish, bluish thing, instead of the, the Simon Says that we're all familiar with now. Um, doesn't it look like a Simon Says? Uh, it's, uh, you know, it really does. Yeah. Um, so the, but that, those, those are still out there. And this is a serious let me back up a potentially serious bug so that if you know what you're doing and if you know to expect this person to browse your website you can inject some malicious javascript that will cause the browser to give up cookies and um and not only cookies but read password fields that's the dangerous part but there's a lot of hoops to jump through to make it work and um but the 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 fact is it's still out there. There's still a large user base of these broken things out there that will probably never be updated. Yeah, and like one of the things I do on my Android tablet is I went into the settings because uh, I actually I don't use Chrome. I use the the Android one just because I'm on it so infrequently. Um, but I have checked in the settings to always ask for the desktop version 
So you would think anything that was going to be targeted this would target the mobile version of the site. And so maybe as one way around it, just check that box to use to use the, the desktop or, you know, switch to Chrome. Right. But yeah, and- it's it uses JavaScript, um, specially constructed in, in a way to kind of uh, open up your system a little bit beyond what it would be done by default. Yeah, so reading my password as I type it, that's a bad thing. Uh, but there's, you know, and because that's a rich minefield uh, or a, a, a rich gold mine, that's what I meant to say, uh, there's there's reason to put effort into it. And it's it's not, uh, the, the thing is, you would have to set up a page that spoofs a bank page that has this injected thing and trick somebody into entering their bank credentials. Well, if you're going to do that, you've already got it. Um, so the the other thing is you have to get them to log in, grab their password, and hope they use that same password on some other site, which lots of people do. Uh, so there's, you know, it's a lot of work to exploit this. But So I, I don't want you to go panic, but at the same time, it's worth noti- uh, noting because there is a vast potential for this to be exploited. Yes. So, yeah, it's not one of those the sky is falling, but, you know, it does look like rain. So Yeah. Because a lot of these cheap tablets, for example, don't even have the Google Play Store on them. So they're not going to be updated. Well, and with Google's uh, terms of service, if you have the older browser, you're no longer eligible for the Google Play Store. Like, I bought this cheap little four-inch tablet um, for 10 bucks. I mean, I was like, okay, it's 10 bucks. What can I do with it? I looked around. I was like, eh, you know, I've already got these three tablets sitting over here that I just leave, you know, unplugged. So I don't really need this one, but you could not load or you could not access Google play. Now they had set up this other like side loading app store that you could get games and stuff from, but you know, you're not going to be able to get the latest and greatest stuff. Uh, unless, unless one, you trust those developers and which, I mean, I don't, I, I think they're probably safe, but anyway, so I ended up giving it to somebody for their young kid, their first tablet for them to, you know, break and learn stuff on. <laughs> All right. And shifting gears a little bit, uh, you know, one of the rules of watching politics is follow the money. And somebody did just that and found a not surprising link between people who make money and people who oppose net neutrality. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, um, senators who oppose net neutrality make bukus more in uh, campaign contributions than those who are for net neutrality. On average, 40% more. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you're talking millions or hundreds of thousands in this case, that um you know 40% more of 100,000 i mean you know that adds up you know and, and you know we 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 got to say correlation does not prove causation but you know again you got to follow the money the down the line the guys who are backing the people who want to create a quote unquote internet fast lane um make more campaign contributions across the board cuz they're required to report this and you can line up their stance on the issue and the amount of money they made in the last couple of years. And there's a striking correlation to it. Yeah. And you know, and one of the things they did was they didn't just do 
all campaign contributions. They looked at contributions from cable and satellite, TV production and distribution, and telephone utilities. So they limited themselves to just those because otherwise, you know, you get this one anyway, they just to kind of make the playing field level. And, you know, like I say, 140,000 in those from those uh, categories versus 100,000 for other people. So. Which may explain the next story where FCC Chairman uh, Wheeler has made impassioned speeches to the, to, to the point that he is for an open Internet, but what he actually puts in the proposal is a very different thing. Right. And, you know, um, just the title of the article, in the FCC's own words, Chairman Wheeler has proposed online discrimination, paid prioritization, and exclusive deals. And so they have some experts, uh, one from his speech on May 15th, this agency supports an open internet. There is one internet, not a fast internet, not a slow internet, one internet. The potential for there to be some kind of fast lane available to only a few has many people concerned. Personally, I don't like the idea that the internet could be divided into haves and have nots. I will work to see that does not happen. In this item, we specifically ask whether and how to prevent the kind of paid prioritization that could result in fast lanes. Um, and his, but his proposal says, we propose to adopt the text of the no blocking rule that the commission added with a clarification that it does not preclude broadband providers from negotiating individualized differentiated agreements with similarly, similar Similarly situated. Yes, similarly situated edge <laughs> providers. Sorry, it was just, I couldn't say the word. Um, so, you know, basically, talk's a good game, but when push comes to sub, um, it's, you know, it, it's a load of crap. And again, he was like a lobbyist for the uh, AT&T telecom industry mm-hmm. before he took this job. So he is very familiar with the concept um, because he was working his way, he was working hard to destroy it before he took over this post. Um, so part of this quote says that as long as a provider does not run uh, uh, below, excuse me, does not uh, offer content, did, now, now it's a contagious, Seth. So long as broadband providers do not degrade lawful content, so they can degrade illegal content, I'm fine with that, or service to below minimum levels of access. What what is below minimum? Minimum is as low as it can go. So as long as you're not below as low as it can go, you're fine. What? Yeah, that's like, you know, I have up to 50 terabytes of service at my house. You know, I never get over a, a, a meg, but I have up to, like, I'm sure 50 terabytes. I could get a 50 terabyte pipeline. It's up to that. I don't ever have to give it. They just have to say up to. So... I don't know. Well, anyway, you know, this is, it's the same conversation we have all the time because they're so good. Well, it, it's important, but nobody seems to care. That's the sad part. Um, this is important, but nobody cares. Sorry yeah. to get all depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't argue with that. It's important, but it's, it's hard to, it's hard to make anybody. Uh, it's hard to make impassioned speeches, but there's only so much internet ire, believe it or not. The ire meter does run out on the internet, and when you're done um, complaining about the person who used W-H-O-S-E instead of W-H-O apostrophe S, once all that's used up, there's only so much left over, 
and you know we we went black to block so sopa and pippa and that pretty much ran the tanks dry and so now here we are going with net neutrality and and nobody has we're just out so what we really need is the fcc chairman to misquote a star trek reference that will get the internet fired up about it but until that happens nobody's going to care yeah. Whoa, unfor- whoa, whoa, whoa. There, there was a daily show about this about two months ago, and uh, people were caring then. Right. A very small percentage and, of the uh, overall whenever, population. Yes, not, uh, they were caring then, not, not because of the uh, term net neutrality. They just happened to notice things started to get really slow whenever they were trying to watch their favorite Netflix right. movie, and that made them upset. But it didn't make anybody upset enough to actually affect anything. It made people upset enough to to make some headlines on you know on Gawker or on Lifehacker. It didn't make anybody upset enough to actually affect the legal process. Um, and so that's. This is going to happen. We are going to end up with a tiered internet, in at least in the U.S., and the other com- countries will follow, and we're going to get what we asked for, whether we knew what's what we were asking for or not. I really wish, Mark, that I could st- step in here and just destroy you, but unfortunately, we can't because, you know, th- the problem is there will be a lot of people who complain about this because it's easier to complain than it is to actually do something about it. You know, the whole term slacktivism, I clicked this link that said it's a bad thing. So I'm done. I made my contribution to society, but I'm not going to give up the internet because what they're doing is wrong. I'm not going to lower what I pay for. I'm not going to cancel Netflix. I'm not going to cancel, you know, Comcast pay on demand because that interferes with my leisure. So as, as long as you don't interfere with my leisure, um, I don't really care. And yeah. that's, that, that's what we're dealing with, unfortunately. But you know what people do care about? New gadgets, including three new tablets from Amazon. Yeah. Um, you know, Amazon Fire has come out with a, um, uh, their HD, uh, their new things are coming out and, you can get a six inch Kindle Fire HD for $99 and a seven inch for 139. If you want the big nine inch one or 8.9, it's 379. Um, and I got to admit these kind of, I'm thinking real hard about pulling the plug on these because Amazon has the, uh, ASAP and I spent all this time looking it up and now I didn't put those links in the store, but basically, uh, I didn't put those links in the show. What it does is it looks at what you've done to try to pre-cash, uh, what it thinks you will like, or if you have, if you select the wish list, it will go out and download those. So that way, and it'll kind of queue them up so that you can just press play and not, um, not be, um, you know, not wait while they're buffering. And in some place like a bandwidth impaired, um, house like mine, it has the potential to be really good because I could say, Hey, I want to watch these five movies. And then, you know, in a day or a week or however long it takes, <laughs> I'll be able to watch, or, you know, I can take them to work and leech off the free guest Wi-Fi there. Um, and 
be then when I press play, they will be there. This is the whole reason I, I don't have Netflix is because Netflix doesn't offer any way to, uh, you know, queue up the next movie or two that I want to see. Uh, of course, the only downside of this is it tends to go wild. And a lot of people have done studies showing that, you know, they use, say, 20 gigs of data a day unless they have their fire plugged in, in which case it's 60 gigs because it aggressively caches and it seeks to peg your bandwidth. So I would need to come up with some way, you know, maybe maybe put in like an untangle or something that would limit um the uh, amount of data it could suck. So being a parent, what appeals to me here is their kids' version. So it's basically costs 50% more. It's it's $99 straight up or $149 for the kids' version, which is a little more ruggedized. But for two Heck, years... sign me up for that. If For two <laughs> years, if they break it, you, they'll replace it. No questions asked. Yep. So essentially, you're, you're paying a 50% insurance fee uh, as opposed to a 100% replacement fee. So for you, you instead of ninety nine, you pay one forty nine. It comes with a nice rugged case and some special kids uh, related software. Um, and then for two years, if the kid throws it out the window or you drive over the car over it or you flush it down the toilet, they'll replace it. No questions asked. That that's understanding your target audience right there. Yeah, I uh, I like I say, I I think it has the potential to get me to you know sip the google kool-aid or not the google but the uh, android kool-aid and then you know go in with uh because you would have i would have to get prime and then you know i would get just the shows that they that have the prime offerings so this has the i've been researching this hard and like asking their support questions that I guess they didn't think anybody would ask because they don't know the answer to it. You know, I, I like, I ask them a question and I'm waiting 10 minutes while they research and then they answer and I ask them another question and they're like, crap, this guy has real yeah. questions. And, uh, uh so, and yeah. this thing is, you know, it, it's not Android. It's, it's Android, uh, in the background. It's the Kindle, Kindle Fire OS. So right. you don't get the Android Play Store. Um, and you don't get the full Google experience, but it's, you know, it's Android in the background, but it's real specs here. It's a quad core 1.5 gigahertz processor, um, six inch, uh, 1280 by 800. So it's a, a half HD display front and rear cameras. Uh, this is 16 gigs for 129 or excuse me, 119. It's, it's a real tablet. Again, it's not pure Android. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if somebody comes out with a Cyanogen mod hack for it pretty quickly. Um, I, and, of course, this is Amazon's play at this is to sell you a consumption device. They, they, they want you to, to, you to, to use Prime and do the streaming and, and look, uh, whatever I need is here in the everything store, Amazon, so I'll just buy it right here from a tablet, and I think it's going to work. Yeah, because one of the things they did at first when it came out, there was really no way to differentiate what was Prime offering and then what was stuff you were just you had to purchase a la carte. And so, you know, that ticks some people off. And so then now they have like a filter thing where you can filter for Prime stuff. But, you know, one of the reasons is, oh, hey, I'm going to watch this. And since they already have your credit card on file boom, you spent $4 here, you spent $2 there. You know, you didn't realize that that $100 worth of media you consumed wasn't all prime covered until you get your statement at the end of the month. So they've made a couple of changes like that. Um, but like I say, it's really, I'm, 
I'm thinking real hard about getting one of these. Um, but l- like I say, for me, I have to add the hundred for, um, uh, Android or, uh, Amazon Prime to yeah. get really any functionality out of it. I, I love me some Amazon Prime. I, I paid for it back when it was 79, I think. And when I renew, I will happily pay the updated cost because I'm impatient and I don't like people. And you put those <laughs> two things together. I can order it online and have it here the next day. That covers the impatient and I don't have to talk to anybody. That covers the don't like people. It's great. Um, right. You know, of course, the only bad thing is, you know, when you order everything online, you kill the local businesses, uh, because nobody buys from them because they're all, yeah. they're all staying at home. You know, I mean, it's great for UPS and FedEx, but you know, it, it, it's not good for mom and pop's hardware store that's been around for four generations, but barely survived Walmart. But now, you know, Amazon's going to kill them. Well, they so. just need to become verified Amazon sellers and, and we're good. Yeah, I I, rec- I don't want to uh, diss your point there. I recognize that that is the thing, but I also recognize that that's just the way things go. I mean, nobody misses the wheel right or the lamp lighter anymore. Nobody misses the the um, stagecoach driver. Those things they were things. Now they're not things anymore. Um, so it's just, it just it's that's you had a good run. You had forty years. Go do something else. Right. But, and yeah. So anyway, you know, this, we need to have a show about this, about this whole is, is internet killing the local communities? You know, um, we're, that, that's going to be a show. Right, put sometime. that on the list. Yeah. So it's good. Okay. Uh, and then our last story of the week, Google's double click servers accidentally, maybe exposed millions of people to bad stuff. Yes, yeah, so we can thank Malwarebytes, my favorite um, Windows-based anti-malware solution. They uh, basically they noticed some things like at last FM, uh, the Times of Israel, Jerusalem Post. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe people who uh, live in Israel. Uh, after digging, they realized the problem was coming from Google's double-click ad servers. Um, that some of them, I don't necessarily know if they got they kind of got compromised and were serving up malicious ads designed to spread the Zmot malware. Um, as, you know, Google representatives confirmed the breach and saying their team is aware and taking steps to shut it down. But, you know, here's one of those things. You have this ultra secure site that you're, you know, everything is updated. You have your 87 character alphanumeric haystack password that you change every four minutes just to ensure <laughs> no one can hack it. Your site's tight, but in order to make some money, you have Google ads running. Well, guess what? Google ads got hacked and now your site is become a spewer of malware out onto the world. Yeah, um, and the thing is what, what Google did wrong there is it lets you pick the HTML code that you put in your ad. Uh, and it's not so much that they, it's a wrong thing. Advertisers want that. They don't want just the little blue text ads. They want real banner ads and Google offers those. Um, and, and they let you write some of your own code and they, they do a good job supposedly of parsing that code, but they, they weren't good enough this time. So somebody bought ads designed to spread a malware bot. Yeah. And, you know, and it's one of those things that's, you know, um, I hope this analogy doesn't offend people, but nobody knew to stop planes from flying into buildings because it had never been done before. You know, nobody realized that, you know, 
nobody realized to block against this because it hadn't been done before. So it was, you know, now that it has been done, um, and hopefully they'll take steps and prevent this attack from being done in the future. So it's one, it's kind of, my hats are off to them. It's like, I never would have thought to distribute malware that way. Kudos to you for coming up with a new way, but now we're going to shut you down. Yes. Thank you for being a useless scumbag, but an innovative useless scumbag. Yeah. I mean, you know, if only we could use your powers for good. Exactly. The trouble is the money's better on the dark side. It really is. Yes. All right, so I'm going to say that wraps up the news section this week. So, Seth, what do you have for us for this week in history? Okay, 1982, love them or hate them, Scott Fallman posts the first documented emoticons, the smiley face and frowny face using the hyphen for the nose uh, on the Carnegie Mellon University bulletin board system. Wow, what a blast from the past this was, personally to me. I used to work for Carnegie Mellon School of Computer Science. And um, Scott Fallon is a really fun guy. I believe that he still uses uh, the Linux desktop. Cool. Yeah, and like my there niece... There you have it. Yeah, my niece does them backwards. Like, um, you know, I do colon nose parentheses or colon dash parentheses she'll do parentheses dash colon and i keep telling her quit typing that garbage you do it wrong but (laughs) i've uh, noticed that actually that that's a generational thing lots of kids now do it the the other way just because that you kids today messing up our emoticons (laughs) yeah of course now they're all onto emoji which i was using a facebook messenger uh, phone app don't by the way i was just playing with it and i put it on my phone and the person i was talking with used an emoji and it like filled my whole screen with this weird yellow smiley face and i thought this is not this is not what i wanted i wanted a little winky thing i didn't want to fill my screen with this giant thing um you you kids today in your darn emoji mm-hmm. i don't understand you get off my lawn amen <laughs> Remember the days when they were just text-based in a couple of characters? No. All right. Yeah, I thought you were just saying don't use the Google Messenger app. No, I Uh, was. I was saying that. That that were two statements there. Don't use the the Facebook Messenger app on Android. It's a pig. And don't use emoji (laughs) for the same reason. Yeah, I refuse to download the Facebook Messenger app. And it's not because of the permissions issue. I understand they simply updated their thing um i just refused to use it because you had one crappy um app that still didn't have all the functionality of the website (laughs) you've removed some of the core functionality of it i'm not going to have two of your crappy apps on my phone so i refuse to install the facebook messenger app uh on my devices well that's the thing that that everybody's doing now separate apps you know google had google docs then they transitioned you from Docs to Drive. Then they transitioned you from Drive to uh, different apps for Sheets and for Docs and for presentations. And I don't, I don't really understand what that's about. Why? I'm, I don't get it. Maybe, maybe it's better coding. But everybody seems to be splitting out functionality now. Yeah. So I just go to the website and yeah. get a more richer experience. <laughs> 
<laughs> Hussein Alehi in the know, chat room says emoji is, is what, bad for the children. You know, this is not what Dr. Fallman had in mind whenever he first <laughs> yes. discussed the emoticon. It was to resolve a, a flame war or, or I, I guess preempt potential flame wars about how to discuss the fact that you're only kidding with your thoughts. Yeah. So so much of communication is nonverbal and you don't get any of that online. Um Yeah. I mean I've I've had that experience. I've had somebody take something I said offhandedly in text that if I'd said it in person with a smile and a wink, it wouldn't have been a problem. But because I said it in text, it spawned like a six month argument. Um, so it, it happens. Be careful what you type, people. Practice safe texting. <laughs> so, Seth, let's wrap up the show with your your time wasting um, activity of the month. What have you done? What have you got to bring down my productivity this week? Okay, well, this one has real potential to making you look worse to your employers than I could possibly <laughs> work. Um, this is a slideshow that I came across on Yahoo, um, where they take. Um, basically movie sets you know like for example a lot of the hobbit and lord of the rings was filmed in new zealand and so you know they have these movie sets that were built but now they're kind of abandoned so whether it be from the fugitive or to the hobbit or anything else you can click through this slideshow and kind of see what they look like you know so it'll show like a scene um and then kind of how it looks today um i just thought it was kind of interesting to look at and Hopefully you will too. So, yeah, well, the, I've I've seen things like this before, and and yeah, it's just cool to you recognize something that you saw, and and now it's a whole different context. Yeah, and you know it, it's kind of short, but you know again, I can't make them all weird or it loses the appeal. So I try to throw in some palate <laughs> cleansers and occasionally a few productive things that are actually productive, but. This one was just kind of meant to be cool. So as I was uh, watching uh, Peyton Manning get destroyed by the uh, Seattle Seahawks again today, there was a commercial and and there's just it's just a quick scene where somebody pulls into a diner of some sort and the the one of the signs handwritten signs on the diner says choice prime rib and and I'm sure only a food geek would notice that but it's either choice or it's prime it can't be both. Their their grades of meat can't be choice prime rib, and it bothered me. And I, I'm I'm telling you now, my audience, if you know somebody who's responsible for that commercial, go kick them in the shin because there's yeah, no such I thing as choice prime. Prime is rib. what you want. Yeah, yes. you don't want choice. You want prime. Well, there's select choice and prime. Select is what you don't want. Select is just above dog food. And then there's choice, which is what most people get. That's what you buy at the grocery store. And then prime is the top 2%. But there's no such thing as choice prime. Man, I went to Hibachi yesterday um, for celebrating a birthday. And, you know, and of course, I, I ordered the um, chicken and steak. And I told the guy, they said, how do you want your steak? And I said, uh, very extremely well done. <laughs> and he just looked at me and went, huh? And I was like, he's like, so you want beef jerky? And I'm like, yep, let's snap into a slim. So, uh, <laughs> but he Shoe did good. for me, please. Yeah, he did good. So, uh, I got it the way I liked it and it was very enjoyable. So, 
See, for you, the select would be fine then, because you don't actually care about flavor or juiciness or, or texture. No, I do care about texture, <laughs> but a certain texture that I enjoy eating beef bacon. jerky. Yes, beef bacon, bacon and beef jerky. That's I'm I'm happy camping. Oh, and that's that's the way this show goes, folks. Everything from the high minded discussions of net neutrality to uh overcooking the wrong cut of meat. No, uh, properly we, cooking the wrong cut of meat. <laughs> You you only get that here on this show, and we thank you for listening. Uh, if you would like to uh, to let us know what you think, uh, again, we have an upcoming uh, show about uh, uh, a follow up, a listener feedback show to our our privacy versus file sharing discussion that we had a few weeks ago. Uh, if you want to comment on that or anything else, go to uh, elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the show, and uh, that will send us a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox, and I will see that and. Uh, and we'll uh, respond to it as I did with the uh, three guys at the top of the show today. If you if you want to skip that step and f- go straight to email and fire up uh, Pine and send me a text uh, based email, you can do that to edl at elementop.com. That goes to all three of us. Uh, or if you want to be on the the show in a very real way, have your voice next to my voice, you can do that. You can call our Google Voice number five five nine I M O P anywhere in North America. It's a free call. Uh, leave us a message and we'll play it on the show. If you're outside the U S. or just don't like Google Voice for some reason, just send me a file of your favorite Og Theora, whatever. Uh, just keep it under a couple of minutes, and we'll do that. We love to hear from you because this is your show. You're the reason we do it. And as always, I thank you for listening. Bethlyn, thank you for for hanging out with us for a couple of hours this week and for your insights and your uh, commentary. And Seth, as always, thank you for being the awesome host that you are. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of everyday linux oh one thing i really hope some people call in because i would love to hear some people's actual voices uh for our feedback show